Um, thank you for the warm welcome. And how many people is it their first meetup coming to? Congrats. This is, uh, this is a big moment. This is kind of a catalyst of you determining kind of what your next step is going to be. So I do have a slideshow, but at first I will I'll just give you a little brief update or I'll just, uh, sorry. I will tell you about my story. So you guys kind of have a little bit of background from me. So I started off with a trust fund and I got $10 million and that's how I bought $200 million worth of real estate. That's it guys, that's all you have to do. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> I've kind of lived all over. I moved from New Mexico out to Nebraska in 2007. I had finished my bachelor's degree living in New Mexico and had no clue what I was doing. I had a good friend who was living out here and packed up my truck and left. Um, this is where the journey started. I began working as a Starbucks barista and moving my way up at Hy-Vee to cutting meat to managing a grocery store. From there, I realized that retail, although it teaches you a lot of great things, was probably not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So what did I do? I did what you're taught to do in school is go to more school, okay? So I went and got my MBA, all right. Then I went and landed the dream gig, an $84,000 a year, nine to five job, being a marketing analyst, which I kept getting promoted at. Dream job, Monday through Friday, nine to five, holidays off, weekends off, no stress. I had to think very minimally. It was, it was just, it was great. Until one day, and I think many of you here have read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was January 1st, 2017. If you haven't read the book, just read it. I'll buy it for you, whatever it is. January 1st, 2017, I'm on vacation with my wife and I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see a former classmate of mine who has his name on a tower in Miami for his law firm and I'm like, huh, maybe I should read what he's saying. And he gave his top 10 books and at the top it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna read it January 1st, let's start a new year. The book sounds corny, but I'll read it anyways. Well, within about an hour of reading it, I stood up and I was, I don't know what I was doing. I was walking in circles and my wife was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I had no idea that there's such thing as passive income. Like I, I'm literally, it's like I saw into the matrix right then. Um, so I finished that book, I get back to work uh, January 4th, so th this was kind of like my first midlife crisis, I would say, or maybe a, you know, at the age of 32, January 4th, which was my birthday. Get back to work and uh, sitting there and I look across my desk and I see my coworker who's about 30 years my senior, has this little timer on his desk, timer, and it uh, says 1,000 and 1,050 days, about 1,000 days or so. It was, he was counting down every day and every hour until he retired. And it hit me, and everybody thought it was the coolest thing. You're only three years away from retirement, man. What are you gonna do? This is great. You just have to forget everything for the next three years. That's awesome, and then you can start living the life that you want. And man, that was depressing. I love the guy, and, and I, but that was depressing. That, was, that, was, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Later that day, my boss said, hey, you know how you took some time off, and I know you do some consulting work on the side but you can't take any non-paid days off. I had 10 days of vacation. Also found out I was having my second child. And I was like, wait, so even if I don't want to get paid, I still have to come here and you're saying that I can't do that. Yes, exactly. Well, F. Um, so <laughs> I, I realized right then that there had to be something. I, I basically, it, it flipped a switch and I am really happy. I started reading every single book I could on real estate. I did basically everything the books would say. From that, I started networking with every single person I could. And by April 24th that year, I had purchased my first threeplex. Since that day, I have never gone a day without having a property under contract. 
So I'm a multifamily real estate investor. I have a little over 2,500 rental units. I primarily syndicate, I would say 70 to 80% of my portfolio is of syndicated properties. The other 20% or so, I do JVs, I own some on my own, um, maybe me and my partner purchase. But that's kind of to catch up. So what was also a big catalyst during that first month is I went to my first ever meetup. How many people here know Van Deeb or John Hoyt? Okay, if you haven't heard of them, they are huge investors in Omaha. Van Deeb runs a very successful brokerage. Um, he's spoken at the, the Omaha real estate meetup, and John Hoyt is huge. This guy at like the age of 19 was making a million dollars mowing lawns. Um, so if you haven't heard of him, look him up. But I remember I stayed there, and I stayed, stayed, stayed until the end to make sure I could continue asking them questions. And to bring it full circle, as I said, I was able to have Van recently speak at a meetup, and now he's gonna be on my podcast. So just know that it just takes that one event and the consistency and discipline of continually coming and continually doing it, and you're gonna see the results. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of background. I'm gonna start jumping into some slides. Guys, I love dialogue back and forth too, otherwise I'll just go off on some tangents. Um, as uh, Lance said, these are the companies, Leavenwealth, Liquid Lending Solutions. Um, so yes, we are a hard money lender. Um, and Bricktown Management, the reason it's called Bricktown, yes sir? Okay, so hard money lending is basically your source, and I, I use hard money still, your source of capital that can come very, very quickly when you can't get bank approval in time or you just can't get bank approval at all. We look at the deals, we look at the deals, so typically we're looking that you're purchasing at 70% of ARV. That means you have enough delta, so say it's a $100,000 property, that's what you're gonna sell it for. You buy it for 60,000, you put $10,000 in it or so, 15,000, we'll lend you 100% of the purchase price. You'll come up with a construction. When you start lending from us, we'll lend the entire construction. It's at a higher interest rate than a normal bank. Banks are around 6% now, we're 18% we will fund 100% of it. You don't want to hold on to 18% for too long. That's why we have a six month max. So this is when I, I break it down everybody and say, why use hard money? That's a crazy amount. Well, first it's opportunity cost. You don't do the deal, you don't get any money because you don't go through any bank. Another thing is sometimes you can uh, speed up the seasoning period. So if you were to go through a traditional bank and you're gonna to want to refinance with them, they might, might want to see six to 12 months of actual progress of that building. If you go and buy in hard money and cash, you do the process, you do the rehab, you can typically bring it to a bank a month or two later and they'll give you a new appraisal, they'll give you an appraisal for the property because we don't do appraisals, and then you can do a cash out refinance and own the property. Also, when you're working with us, there's not fees. So when you go through a bank, they might charge you a point on origination, you're gonna pay for an appraisal, so if you're only holding our loan for two months or so, the, the actual debt and the amount of fees that you pay is very, very similar. So just something to think of, it allows for speed. We've closed deals within 24 hours. We prefer to have a little bit more notice than that. Uh, becomes a little bit stressful. Um, we did just uh, lend $2 million to an eightplex in Florida, and we had 72 hours notice. So. There you go, and it was during a hurricane. Um, I don't know if that was, that was good or bad. But just a little background on it. So Liquid Lending Solutions, if you have any questions, um, always happy to help there. So, oh, let me go to change the view, guys. Forgot you gave me a clicker. All right, about me. You gotta put happily first in front of marriage. No, um, I am married to a beautiful wife, Emily. She puts up with my shit. Um, she is great. She is the one who has supported me through real estate. I remember when I was on the fence about quitting my job, which I quit in 2018. It was February and I wanted to go to a Joe Fairless conference. And once again, my boss said I could not take the date off because there was an important meeting. And she was like, you know what, I think you know what you're doing, I think. Um, I know we just had another child, but uh, I think I'm sick of you bitching about your job all the time. Just go and quit it. I was like, 
All right, so I mustered it up. So I thank her for that because who knows, I probably could have just been sitting in my cubicle bitching for another four years. So thank you, Emily. Um, three children. My oldest is Thomas. Uh, my middle, who is basically my twin, Lyndon, my daughter. And then Patrick, who's a little tank. Um, he's going to be a football player for Halloween, and so is my oldest. So they've been practicing tackle in the living room. Um, Currently, we just closed on two properties up in Rapid City, one of them being about 14 million, the other one about eight or nine. Um, so I have $225 million of assets under management, about 1,000 of those units, so I own about 2,500 units, about 1,000 of those units, I have direct control in the management, which means my employees and myself, we directly manage all day-to-day -day operations. Um, the other 1,500, we use third-party property managers, but we asset manage them. It's a full-time job in it, in it of itself. That means they're hiring the staff, et cetera. We're having weekly meetings or sometimes more with them and helping to control the asset. Um, five years of real estate, uh, successful full-cycle projects. So it's actually closer to 55 now. But over 55 times, we have taken a project and completed our business plan. That means we have cashed out, refied 100% of the property, basically the Burr method. We've done that on anything from a duplex to, you know, 87 unit and maybe some larger ones. So that, that means that if we've invested a million dollars, we've gotten that million dollars pulled back out tax-free because that's what a ca cash out refinance is and still held onto the property and cash flowed off of it. Um, Creator the Omaha Real Estate Meetup and I've been on some podcasts. Uh, am I going backwards? Okay, there we go. Okay, creating a great partnership. Uh, my partner could not be here tonight, unfortunately. This is a great story, but it, these are some of the key things because creating a partnership can be very difficult. Um, it's one of the biggest things you will do when you get into this. So similar to dating and getting married, you have to align in goals more than business. You have to be aligned in in your overall goals. You have to be aligned in trust um, and morals and ethics and work ethic is a huge thing. Um, so how I find my partner is there was a fourplex on Park Ave in Nebraska and it was one of the first properties I purchased by myself. I'm there, I meet with a contractor. All of a sudden, this guy in a suit shows up and says, hey, you're Colin Schwartz. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? He just barges on in. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I'm Chris Pomerleau. I'm like, does that mean anything? You're nobody, buddy. Get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. But um, apparently, he was bidding on the same property. He actually bid $5,000 more than I did. But he was a divorce attorney, and he was representing the other party. So we're, we're pretty sure that she saw it and decided not to take that offer. Um, so since then, we started slowly partnering. And what we would find is we kept showing up at the same deals, same deals over and over again. I'm like, God, dang it, there's that Chris guy there. Like, I need to get my offer in over and over and over again. And then one time, we, we started becoming friends, had coffee. And I call him one day. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to go look at 10 units tomorrow. And he just rattled off the address right away. So sure enough, we met there again. Um, and it wasn't going to work with the partnership or the PM group he was going to go with. I was like, I'll make this work. So we ended up partnering on the deal together. And since then, um, we, we basically split everything 50-50. So if you guys are curious, at the beginning, we were nickel and diming everything. If he found the deal and I found the money or vice versa, we had this weird, complicated math problem. Now, he makes a dollar. I make a dollar, and that's throughout all of our businesses. So we found that to be the easiest. Um, yeah, he's a workaholic, so am I. We're trying to get a little bit better, but we honestly have a lot of fun with this. Um, once again, the companies. Um, so we're in seven states for Leavenwell, so that is our private equity company. We were originally called Park Ave Capital, but apparently there's another company in New York named Park Ave Capital that was getting sued, so we decided to, uh, we decided to quickly change that. Uh, Levin Wealth, Levin means to rise. We also, our previous office was on Leavenworth Street, so kind of plan the name, and the, the rising of wealth. We're in seven states from Rapid City, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, all the way down to Dallas, Texas. Um, 
and kind of the markets in between. So if you cut the, the country in thirds right in the middle with our primary home base in Omaha. Bricktown Management, that was the, that was kind of the starting of a company. I was managing 92 units, up to 92 units by myself. That means I was taking the phone calls for leasing. I remember I would go to properties with my backpack on, full of printer paper, and bring a mobile printer. I would meet the residents, sometime primarily Spanish-speaking, and I would sit there on my translator app going through new leases with them, and I'd lease out everything. I was doing pest control, I was doing move-outs, I was doing evictions, um, I was doing the full takeover. And then I realized that Colin Schwartz, the landlord, which was my business name at the time, which, because there was no business, um, needed an actual name. And I owned a lot of properties with brick, and my wife came up with a name. So once again, she gets the credit. Um, so that's how we started Bricktown Management and then started hiring people. Currently we have, um, depending, because we have some seasonal help, but a little over 20 employees. Holistically, throughout all of our companies, if you include title, um, as well as uh, liquid lending, we're probably 30, 35 employees or so. And then the Omaha Real Estate Meetup. So the reason I started the meetup is although I loved the RIA that I went to, I thought that I could do it better, and I also wanted it to be more frequent. So if you guys haven't checked it out, Ted Cash runs the RIA in Omaha, it's phenomenal, he's done a great job. At the time, it was just different, it was kind of bland, it was at a elementary school gymnasium and they'd serve cookies and coffee. Well, I wanted something like this, this environment, so I created one in Omaha, um, just for the fact that I wanted to meet more brilliant people like you. <clears throat> I can go over this a little bit, but really the, the goal and why I started investing, so it's passive income, and I use passive in air quotes because what I do is not passive at all, but it's to build that generational wealth. And when I say generational wealth, if I leave this earth today, I know that my family's taken care of. I know that what I've built will continue after I'm gone. And that was my biggest goal. That was my biggest goal. That and get out of my job, because I knew once I got out of my job, I could focus more on that. So that's what we do, that's what we have for our investors as well. We look to build generational wealth. Now, do we sell properties? Yes, especially in this last market cycle, we found some properties, some smaller properties, some ones that we got crazy offers on, so we took it. But our goal is to continue to hold on to real estate. The tax advantages alone, make it really difficult to ever want to sell. So that, that, that is our mission throughout our portfolio, and that, those are the people we partner with. Um, typically, 10 to 18, 18% tax-free returns on average. Um, yeah, we can get into that later, but that's just a little bit. All right, same thing. So as I said, 2,500 units. All right, so this is the map of all where we are located. So we're also in Council Bluffs, Des Moines, Manhattan, Kansas, Wichita, Tulsa, and Brandon, South Dakota. Some of our properties. So our largest one being 235 units. Um, as I said, I still own duplexes. I buy duplexes. I may buy a fourplex or a fiveplex, especially if it's in Omaha. So I want people here, that, especially that are newer, not to get too caught up in everything. It is okay to buy smaller properties. There's a lot of ability to still increase the value and make a lot of money from it. And also, typically, you're gonna find sellers that maybe are more willing to give you a delta on that property, meaning they have not taken care of the rents. My second property I ever bought was a duplex. I got it from a letter campaign, $98,500. That thing comped at the time for 175. The guy was nice. He charged the neighbors $500 in rent. They had been living there for 25 years and completely trashed the place. He lived on the other side and he just wanted to get out of it. Ended up selling that thing for 240 and he gave me a really cool sword. What I'm saying is, is that don't get discouraged when you start seeing 235 units. How am I ever going to get that? It, do, it doesn't matter. I don't own 100% of that. I own maybe 15% of equity of the total portfolio. So I don't own 2,500 units myself. But just to continue with that, because you can build wealth on these small numbers. 
and they're really good to learn from. Um, so just kind of a career timeline, 2007, as I said, I worked at Hy-Vee, and I got my dream job, so I got an MBA, um, and then created Bricktown 2018, started hiring in 2019. I know I had some assistance in 2018, and now as of 2020 is when I got five full-time people, and now this is kind of the growth timeline, so really it's crazy because if you were to actually look at May 2020, it would almost look the exact same of kind of like that exponential curve. And I can tell you guys, the consistency of doing this and finding really good partnerships and people, regardless, you are going to see that type of exponential curve. That, that, that is just what continues to happen. Um, I'm not making any similarities to Warren Buffett, but when you look at his timeline of wealth, it's just this, 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 everything stuck at the bottom until literally the last you know, 20 years or so. Now, his bottom may have been 500 million, but you have to use that and just know that this is a you know, get rich slow type of game. It's gonna take a while. First three years into it, I think is when I started actually seeing real, real profits and not having to reinvest everything. So, but I wasn't flipping, I flipped a couple houses. I was looking at that long-term wealth building game. Um, deals, so th these are five principles which I think are absolutely critical for any investor if you're gonna be successful. You guys can learn everything, you can know all the tricks, but, but you gotta start with the core. Sorry, Megan. Okay, so discipline. So I just read this in a book and I'm forgetting the name of it now, is with Colin O'Brady. He hiked the Antarctic Circle, unassisted, 58 days, carrying a 350-pound pack. Anyways, he has this quote, and he's climbed all the highest mountains, et cetera. Um, makes us all feel like a big weenie. But in that, he has this quote, so discipline is the first one. The music is not in the notes, but in the silence in between. What's that? The impossible first, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and it really just struck a chord with me. All the time we're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, look at Grant Cardone, he's over $6 billion, closed this many deals, blah, 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 blah. I'm gonna tell you, none of, that, none of that matters. None of it. The deal I closed should not matter anything to you. What should matter is getting up at 4.30, getting to the gym, getting hydrated, reading, listening to audibles on the way there, not settling for anything less. Reading every night, educating yourself. Do the stuff that if you were to write down, people are gonna fall asleep to because they think it's so boring. The kale salad that you had. Those types of pieces of discipline, they add up, they add up. And I've lived both sides of it. I mean, Lance said, where did you go? I lost 40 pounds because I lost that discipline. I was so focused on something else that I lost those foundational disciplines. So just know that to be really successful in this business, you have to be disciplined. Whatever you're doing, whatever niche, and you can't care about the noise. You can't wait for the beat to drop. That's, that's not the goal. It is the silence in between. So I just thought that was kind of fitting. Um, embracing defeat. So this is something else, you need, you need thick skin. Um, and today I was looking up the most losingest uh, uh, football player, and uh, it was Jason Hansen, which I don't know. He's a kicker for the Lions, but he lost 208 games. How many games did he play? 500 games? Cy Young, the all-time losingest baseball player ever. Yes, yeah, yeah, and one of the greatest ever. They talk about Kobe Bryant missing, you know, the most shots ever in the NBA. It is important to get out there and lose. Now you wanna win more and you gotta learn from those defeats, but you have to be willing to get your butt kicked. So another favorite quote, this is actually my favorite quote. The cowards never started, the weak died along the way, and that leaves us, ladies and gentlemen, us. That's from Phil Knight's book. I believe that that's why all of us are in this room. The cowards never started. They're, they're giving excuses. They're saying, ah, oh, that's for somebody else. That's a scheme, Grant Cardone, he's full of shit. You know, whatever it is, whatever the excuse is going through their head, so they don't even start. The weak ones are the ones that can't embrace the defeat. Once they, once they get kicked once, they're not gonna stand up again. And then that leaves us. So I always find it very fitting when I get kicked, because uh, it does happen. Um, you gotta have ambition. Um, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do, Steve Jobs. Uh, 
you, you gotta be a little bit out of the box. When I first started doing this, and I'm telling my corporate people, like when I'm about to quit my job, Everybody's like, you're gonna leave this gravy train? You have it so good, you keep, keep getting promoted. Um, you have a great job, you're, you're gonna be director level. Um, you're already running these teams. You sure you wanna leave this? This is pretty, this is pretty amazing. Oh, real estate's risky. Like, you, you remember what happened. I have an uncle's brother, he lost everything. That's, uh, that's uh, your cousin, buddy. But um, <laughs> the stories just continue to go like that and you gotta put the blinders on, which means you have to have big ambition. Long view, and I've said this before, real estate is a get rich slow business. The power of the 1% rule, and this goes back to the discipline. If you improve 1% every day, that's 37X over a year's time frame. Do the math. I have not, so I'm hoping that's correct, but 37 times better, just 1% better every day. Work out a little bit harder, do more research, do any of those things to be slightly better. When I first started, I was journaling and I've now picked it back up again. I made it a goal every day to make one impactful change, to do something that was gonna move the needle that day. Now, if it was my first time ever going on Zillow and analyzing a property, boom, that was my check mark for the day. The next day though, that doesn't count. I already did it. It's like, it's like driving around or you know, tying your shoes. So I had to keep upping the ante. It was meet with a new lender. Okay, now go find an off-market deal, do all these things. So keep upping the ante, because that's gonna continue to allow you to progress. Speed, you gotta be fast. You, you cannot get analysis paralysis. You can't, done is better than perfect. I stole that from Owen Dashner. I'll give him a shout out. I should have put his quote there, he'd love it. Um, speed is key. You, I remember I got a call at nine o'clock at night from Angie Thiel, she's on our liquid lending team, and this was like three years ago, and she sends me a house and she says, I've got it, it's going on the market, but if you put an offer in now, I can get it for you. I didn't see it. I saw a couple photos, but you know what? I knew what some of the comps were. I knew what my construction costs would be for a flip that size, and I said, screw it. Full price offer, let's go and get it. Next morning I got it, and I did well on it. But you have to be fast. If I would have waited another 24 hours, if I would not have answered that phone call, I would have gave up $20,000 on that flip. This happens all the time. These opportunities are there. You just gotta be quick with it. And you don't need to know everything. I can't remember who said it, I think it's Kevin O'Leary, but 65% to 70% of the information, once you have that, it's time to make a decision. At 100%, you've missed it. You've, uh, you're now just inventing in the stock market, basically, because all the information is given to you, thus your returns are gonna be lower. So, just something to think about. I gotta stop setting this down. It should be attached to me. Um, so this is kind of how I, how I started. So this is like actually like steps of what I did. There's a little bit more to this, but I, I think this is really helpful to newer investors. So, I realized that every agent I talked to at the beginning was a big hype man, and I thought all of them were gonna find me the deals, and they had no clue who I was, and they forgot about me as soon as the phone hung up. They had their buyers list. I remember getting laughed at. I remember walking in circles at, at my lunch break and saying, uh, yeah, I'm looking for a six and a half cap. I'm looking for 12% cash on cash return, blah, 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 all the same stuff. And he's like, yeah, you and everyone else, buddy, buy. Now he's provided me deals, but just knowing that you're not gonna get the same, the same ability at first and you're gonna have to pave your own way uh, unless you're really, really patient, which I am not. Um, so I started posting on bigger pockets. I look back at those posts and they're atrocious. It's like, does people have property for sale? I like multifamily, yes please. Um, it, it was really butchered and bad, but hey, I found a new agent, he brought me a deal, a threeplex. Listsource.com, how many people here do direct mailers? Okay, so this is the first one I found, it was called listsource.com. Went on there, was able to pull a list of multifamily investors that were absentee owners, that means they didn't live there, that means that they owned a primary home and now a rental home. My thought was, so I was looking for two to four units and sometimes like a seven unit popped in there, but I was looking for landlords that had been probably doing it for a while maybe hadn't pushed the rents and maybe were a little bit exhausted. So I wanted to know that they owned the property for more than three years. Likely they'd built up some equity in it, likely the market had increased a little bit, whereas if they had just purchased it, they probably didn't want to sell. From there, 
I hand wrote 191 letters in a weekend. And the reason I hand wrote it, so there's plenty of sources out there that you can have that'll create the mailers. One, I didn't want to tell my wife that I was spending money. Once again, if I ever saw five figures in my checking account, I knew tax season was coming up and I was about to have to pay my federal income taxes. So I never, we did not have much money at all, especially with the second kid and then eventually the third child on the way. So I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm, I'm smart, so smart, I'm gonna write them all myself. It's my hand hurt after, but sat there, watched football all weekend. Uh, daughter was really young, just kind of sat in the bouncy and I hand wrote all those letters. Um, and I'll show you the letter, and, and I think in the next slide. So not only to save money did I handwrite the letters, but I also knew that I never open junk mail, but I will 100% of the time open a piece of mail that has a real stamp, somebody's handwritten my address on it, and has my actual return address. That's right, I gave them my home address. Here's the deal, when you are sending these letters to people, they may think that you're invading their privacy. I just said, here, this is where I am. Um, good, bad, and different. My wife probably would not let me do that now, but you know, whatever, I did it. Um, and from there, I got, I can't remember the response rate, but of 191 calls, or 191 letters, I got about 20 calls from it. I mean, just ridiculous. It was like all the stars had aligned. And I ended up getting six deals from it. Just while it's a duplex I told you about, so I spent maybe 300 bucks on this marketing campaign in a weekend. That one deal made me 140 grand. So just, just if you guys are bored, one weekend you got good use of your time, get, get a little hand cramp, get a list and put it together. I, I, I promise you, the, the responses I got, every single person there said it's because of the letter seemed real and the people I didn't do deals with actually became a good connection and I learned from them because the people that called me back were investors. So even if a deal wasn't gonna work, I would spend two hours on the phone with this term that I hate, but I, I didn't know I hated it at the time. I was picking their brain for two hours on why they started investing, how they did it. So I was actually getting free education from actual investors, and I was interested in them. And it was also, that you could tell, I kind of brought some fire back to them. Um, so yeah, also what I would do, this is another thing, is I would find four rent signs, I would call those as well, so I got a deal from that. I would also see residents that are moving out of their properties, and I would ask them for their landlord's number saying I was interested to rent. I had purchased two buildings like that. So there's a lot of creative ways to do it, and people that know, don't know they wanna sell. So that's a way to have a good marketing budget with like basically zero dollars in just effort. Um, yeah, so that's kinda how I started. I said, uh, I said, I'm kind of sick of agents laughing at me, so I'm just gonna do it myself. <laughs> um, here's the letter, Th this, is, this, this is how not special scientific it is. It's not, am I looking for the right verbiage or cool highlights or a bunch of thumbs up emojis? Dear, I would write their name in. So I actually printed this off multiple sides and so I had to fill in some parts handwritten, but. There's a lot of effort into it, so I call it handwritten. Uh, my name is Colin, I'm looking to buy an investment property in Omaha, and this one caught my eye. Are you interested in selling? If so, I'd like to talk. I can close quickly, and I'm not a real estate agent. Please give me a call. That's it, that's it. One property I bought for 364,000, we just sold it for 685 last week. So, just FYI. Um, now I'm gonna get into the advantage of uh, real estate, which pretty sure everybody here knows. Yes, sir. So how did you finance all those? Okay. No, we can get into it now. Um, so I had a home equity line of credit on my house and I cashed out my 401k. So I did start off with some capital, but I went all in. Now granted, remember I was 32 at the time and worked 70, 80 hours a week for all my life, so I put away probably 20% of my money. However, at 25 units, I ran out of money. So in these deals, I did use creative financing, adding consulting fees, acquisition fees, um, paying myself back through the project by becoming property management. So there's, it, money ran out really quickly. Um, the duplex, for example, that I bought, I added on a credit at closing because there were some damages to the property, but because I also wanted to reduce my overall down payment. So that basically took my down payment from $20,000 to $10,000. So just found a lot of creative ways to do that. And 
anybody can do that on any of your properties. Um, so yeah, you're, you're able to use bank leverage. Everybody knows that, that's, that's the power of real estate. You increase the value of the property a dollar, you're getting a 5X return on it if you've leveraged 80% of the property. Um, so you can see how these multiples really start to add up quickly. Quickly, you're getting equity buildup, cash flow, obviously the excess cash that comes through once the property's stabilized, that goes in your pocket. And tax deductions, tax deductions are probably my favorite. What I didn't realize is, well, I was making like 84,000 or whatever when I left my job. The next year in real estate, I think I only made with fees and everything like 55 or 60,000, but I netted the exact same. I netted the exact same making that much less. It's just mind blowing. My mind shifted right then. So I don't pay taxes. I pay a lot of property taxes, a lot of property taxes. But with all the write-offs, I am showing millions of dollars of losses a year. It's Real estate's very powerful, guys. Um, how many people here file as a real estate professional according to the tax code with their, with their account? Dan, does everybody know about that? Okay, if you're a full-time real estate investor, you wanna check with your accountant. My previous accountant didn't know this. Find a good accountant, I don't care who they're related to or whatever, it's, it's night and day difference. Being a real estate professional allows you to take your losses on your entirety of income. Otherwise, when you're purchasing real estate, you can only take those losses in that one entity. So I can break that down later, kind of, kind of on the side, but that is one of the biggest advantages. When you get considered a real estate professional, that means you work 750 hours a year, I believe, anybody? 750 hours a year, whether you're marking it down, however, the IRS considers you a real estate professional. It's not like you get a badge, but that's how you are filing your tax returns. And that means if you show a $200,000 loss of a property and you, as an individual, net $200,000, you're gonna pay zero income tax off of that. Now, if you're not a real estate professional, that $200,000 just sticks with the property until it sells. So say you make a $200,000 profit on that property seven years from now, that $200,000 write-off will go away and you won't pay taxes on that. So it's still a great deal, but being a real estate professional allows you to compound that even quicker. And this is the last year for the full bonus depreciation. So it's 100%, next year it goes down to 80, 60, 40, 20, and then new legislation and we'll be at 200%, who knows. Um, uh, Burr strategy, everybody in here familiar with the Burr strategy? Okay, cool. I'll go over it then. <clears throat> Excuse me. So th this is, if you want to grow and you want to grow fast, you're either using other people's money or you're doing the burst strategy or you're doing both. It's, it's the best way to leverage your dollars. Um, Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets coined it. Shout out to Danless, got to hang out with him and record him the other day. Woo woo! Uh, I got to be on his podcast, episode 318, it's a doozy. Just kidding. Um, so, so you're buying the property. So when we're buying our assets, we're making sure there is a delta of gain right there. So we wanna make sure we're buying at 70% ARV. This goes for multifamilies. So if we're buying a $1 million property, we wanna make sure after we all expenses are in, after we've increased the rents, et cetera, that the property is gonna be worth 1.3, 1.4 million, somewhere around that range, so that when we refinance, we can leverage up and get back our initial capital. Remember, you run out of money really quick in this business. It is capital intensive. So you need to find a way to move your dollars as fast as possible. Um, so we are always focused on quality locations, Poorly managed assets, and poor management can mean numerous things. It's not that the manager never showed up or collected rent, it's just maybe the manager is charging rents from 30 years ago. It's maybe that they're not billing back for utilities. It's maybe that he's okay with a place 75% occupied and he bought it so cheaply that it's paying for everything and he's just fine with it because he's golfing in Hawaii you know, six months a year. It's a true story, just bought a property, a 260 unit, and he was just fine with 75% occupancy. He didn't care. And he was care with his rents 20% below market. That's, that's poor management, but he didn't care. Him and his son just hung out. Good for them. Good for us. Now we can complete our business plan. Um, so we wanna see a minimum of 20% upside in the NOI, net operating income. 
Rehab, once again, rehab comes in all sorts of forms. It could be uh, exterior rehab to, to brighten the place up so people are more attracted to the place. The typical thing for rehab and what you're usually seeing is updating the interiors, taking them from a 1990s or 1970s look and getting them into 2020s. You're doing LVP, LVT, you're doing a gray-white color scheme, you're adding new lighting, et cetera. Maybe you're adding some amenities. Um, so that alone, will get you that rent increase. But there, there's multiple different ways that you can look at rehab rent. Um, obviously, we are, in, we are in a business, so we're increasing the rent to market. We're not here, so this, this is what becomes a misconception to, sometimes. We're not here gouging people like, ah, I know, I know you could go over there for 800, but I know you're here and I know it's gonna be difficult for you to move, so I'm gonna charge you 1,000. No, I'm just gonna charge you 800 now because that's what the market rent is. Um, and the previous ownership to do not do that. However, I'm typically gonna have significantly better service, a safer community and cleaner community. Because um, that is important, guys. These are people's homes. Uh, if, this, if you don't take care of the customer, you don't take care of your employees, you got nothing. You can get lucky for a little bit, but eventually you'll build a bad reputation, uh, you'll go sideways. COVID's a perfect example. We gave away 25 plus thousand dollars of Hy-Vee gift cards right when the pandemic hit. Why do we do that? Everybody else is freaking out. Man, residents aren't gonna pay. Oh, I'm not gonna fix up anything, blah, blah, blah. That's a time you lean in. I don't know if I was right or not, but I leaned in and said, I'm guessing there's a good group of residents out there that regardless are gonna pay me even if the world is ending because that's the type of people they are. So I'm gonna show them that's the type of person I am and help feed their families with groceries. So I think just kind of having that mentality with this, it's the long play. Um, and then repeat, just keep doing it over and over again. As I said, 55 or whatever times, we take that money and we redeploy it. You can refinance money and you can do whatever you want with it but I'll tell you, it's still debt, and you want to redeploy it. You can get yourself in trouble when you start spending stupid money on a refinance. If you sell a property, do whatever you want, but when you're refinancing, that money should be reinvested into more cash-flowing assets. That's, that's my two cents. Um, types of ownership. So 100% owner, the, the I'm gonna I'm a do this, I'm gonna do that, you own 100% of the property, you're now the property manager, you're everything. Maybe you hire a management company, but owning the property 100% yourself, which I own some properties myself as well. Um, all the risk is on you, you're signing on the debt, just buck stops with you. Joint venture, um, me and Lance are gonna partner and we're gonna go 50-50 on a deal. He might bring the money, I might find the deal, I might bring the money, he might find it. I might do the management, he might find the banking relationships. That's how a JV works. Um, once again, to, back to my previous slide about partnerships, you wanna make sure you're very clear from the beginning. Never in the history of the world will somebody do as much as you, or as little as you. It's never gonna be 50% on effort for a deal. It, that's impossible, so you have to get that out of your head. If you guys are gonna split up the property management duties, it's not gonna happen, 0% chance unless that person is tied to your hip. So just know that. So when I started, I said, I'm crazy, I'm gonna do property management. One, because everybody's scared of it, so I knew there was opportunity there. Two, I knew other investors wanted to find a good property manager and somebody that I was invested in, so I was like, I'm gonna attract more people that wanna partner with me. So I did that, but I charged for it. I was very clear about it. We weren't, I wasn't managing the properties out of goodwill knowing that we're gonna be 50-50 on it. I said, no, I'm gonna charge a property management fee and that helped me get out of my job, but it also held me accountable. Now I am the property manager. Now if I'm not performing, whose fault is it? It's my fault, it's not my partner's fault. We're not looking at who, who does who. So that's kind of important when you're figuring out these partnerships, who, whose responsibility and getting compensated for that. Um, syndication, yes sir. Where did the connection start and how did that conversation come up and then jump right into how it ended? Okay. Um, I've had a lot of partnerships, guys. Some, some uh, it's kind of like dating. You can remember well. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I can picture the one with uh, Chris when we bought those 10 units together. 
<clears throat> so basically he was going to be working with another property management company. They came back to bid the, the units to rehab them at hundred grand. I was like, dude, my contractors, what I'm putting together, I know I can do it for 40,000. So he's like, okay, the numbers work at 40,000. I had found the deals off market. Now he found it as well, but he was going to have to pay brokerage fees, et cetera. I added on a consulting fee onto it. So on each building, there was three buildings, I added a $4,000 consulting fee. So I'm just gonna tell you how I wrote up the contract, because this can be confusing, but it's really easy. So the total purchase price was, let's call it $400,000 of the buildings. I said the total purchase price now is 412,000. So really simply, down in the, uh, the addendum portion or the notes portion, um, so I put the price now as 412,000. In the notes section, I put uh, total, Acquisition cost, 412,000. Building cost, or total, total purchase price, or property price, whatever it was, 412,000. Then I put price of property, 400,000. Consulting fee, 12,000. So the bank could see that it was written out, but if you don't have that top line number in there, the bank's just gonna see 400,000 and they don't care about your 12,000. They're gonna say, well, it just shows you're supposed to get paid for that, so bring the money to the table. Now, what that did was allow me to get $12,000 back at closing. Well, didn't it raise the debt, and didn't I have to bring more money? Yes, but it was leverage capital. So overall, that $12,000, if I'm a 50% partner, say we had to bring 40 grand, um, or 80 grand total, so my portion was gonna be 40 grand, I now only had to bring 28 grand, or 40 grand, and I got my 12 grand back right away. That, that, that's a significant difference when you start going to scale. That allows you for a diff, another deal. That's another $100,000 property, and if you continue to do that, those really start adding up. Once again, you have to make sure the numbers, are, numbers work at that new cost. But So I did that, and I said I was gonna take on the property management with him. Um, and we were just 50-50 on all the returns after that. I charged a, at the time, 10% property management fee, which everybody's like, oh, it's so high. It doesn't include payroll, there's no additional fees, et cetera. I've, I've since brought it down with partnerships, but um, I was also over there every day, spraying for bugs, doing all that fun stuff. So that's what I took on. That was the type of job I took on, and he was allowed to get in the deal, and also I was able to get the acquisition fee, which really helped me, so it was a win-win for everybody. Um, from that deal, he helped run the banking relationship, so he was on top of us getting refinanced, um, on helping me find other contractor connections um, and just unique opportunities. He was handling the insurance, um, helping to get utilities, just any type of creative things he could do. But while I am over there managing it, and this was especially at the beginning as this uh, relationship morphed, I was nose, head down into operations. He's still out there finding deals that maybe I didn't have time for or couldn't put as much effort into. As I said, when we became a partnership, we had to go for our skill set because we kept competing with each other. And if I'm calling the same broker as he is, we just keep crossing paths and basically we're wasting our day. In our true partnership, it's not, oh, I'm doing so much here. Look at this deal I brought. Oh, I found the capital. Oh, I did so much work because I went and changed some locks. No, you guys are both rowing in the same direction to get there faster. So that, 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 that's incredibly important. Now, I've had other partners that are completely passive, do nothing, and that's fine, but I know that's, that's what's going to happen. I'm gonna take maybe a larger fee on something like that because I'm gonna run the whole deal. That's fine. Just know that from the beginning and set very, very clear expectations and reevaluate those expectations because as life goes on, things change. Um, did that kind of answer or do any more detail? No, I think that's good because what I'm looking for is newer people on how, because a lot of people have trouble with starting their first deal because they think they have to bring all the money and you don't, you just have to find somebody else. And so that's why I wanted you to explain what you did and how you did it. And through that, I'm assuming you, that's how your syndications came about is with that first deal, right? So we started syndicating... So we probably, in the, in the beginning, JV'd, and they probably should have been a syndication for some of them, but they were friends and family. The, the legal term, uh, 503B or 50, uh, 503C, sorry. Um, but yes, yeah, so basically after two years, so a syndication is pulling a, a group of investors' money, 
Um, us, general partners, me and my partner, we are the general partners. We have a carve out for ourselves for all the work that we do, et cetera. Finding the deal, sourcing the deal, signing on the debt. Uh, my, my name is on a lot of debt. So the ship goes down, somebody may be out of their capital, but I'm out of everything. So just, uh, there's a lot of risk. So we obviously have a lot of, uh, lot of incentives to make sure that our business plans um, come to fruition. But I was telling Matt that I was, I felt awkward about asking even my mom for money. I was like, I don't want to go ask mommy for money. Like I ran out of money and just had to start figuring it out creative ways. But about two years in, I remember another partner of mine, he brought his mom into a deal. She invested 50,000, year later refinanced. She got 70 or $90,000. We still own the place. Year later, same thing happened. Maybe it was 50 or $70,000 at this time. I'm like, dude, I just, tripled somebody who's not my mom's money and she still owns the property. I'm still paying her quarterly distributions. I'm like, mom, your bonds are making one and a half percent. You're killing me over here. So that's when she started investing. And basically we started seeing lots of people were in the need for a product like this. They wanted to find operators that they knew. They wanted to find operators that they trust. They wanted to find operators that weren't just out there showboating and not actually in the business and understanding the business. So that's really what why we created the syndication model it allowed us to scale more more units allows us to hire more people hire more talent people in certain skill sets from marketing to asset managers to a cfo to allow us to build those because i'm a terrible bookkeeper i hate quickbooks it is brain surgery for me and i'm not a brain surgeon either so it's not a fun thing um, so being able to start hiring those people as we get to scale but really it was uh the syndication started because it was just a need that was presented to us. Um, so that is what we do now primarily, you know, 70% of our deals or so. Then there's also REITs. So REITs just a fancy term for stocks. You don't get the tax benefits, et cetera, but it is basically a stock that invests in real estate. So when companies get large enough, if we hit 10,000 units, 20,000, you can become a REIT, get sold on the stock market and people invest into that. So real quick on the, uh... I know he's got a lot of really good information. I'm sorry, but um, on the, when you go to the syndication, when you did your first one, what was your specific job for the syndication? Which one was the what first did one? You, like you said, I okay. can do this part of yep. the syndication. Because I know he is a lawyer, but he's not the kind of lawyer that you need for a syndication. I, I just assume he can do it all, though. It's funny. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm like, you're a lawyer. You know how to read these documents. Yeah, he's pretty smart. But tell, us, yeah. tell us a little bit about that, because that... Because as you, everybody can see, you're starting out with maybe a small deal, and then you work your way up. So small deals are great, and that's how you get going. But then there's also other options. So yeah, yeah. So that it's... Syndication is really scary. I would not be syndicating if it weren't for my partner because the word itself is scary. Filing with the SEC, 75-page documents is scary. Spending fifteen dollars to $16,000 a lawyer a pop, it's scary. Having 70 investors and all these different K-1s going on, that's scary. He knows that stuff. He's from the legal world. And although he was a family law attorney, he had the type of skill set that could handle that. My skill set is I can go into a property and manage it and be super effective with that and create this level of customer service and manage a team to actually execute on that process. I know the due diligence process. So as we're going through, we're touring the property. He's maybe better at seeing some of the upside potential per square foot, this, this, this. I'm maybe better at diving into the numbers and putting realistic timelines together of when things are going to be when things are going to be finished and how realistic it is we're going to hit our goals. So that that's I mean honestly kind of boots on the ground versus kind of back end. We both raise capital um, or we both assist in that. I hate calling it raising capital cuz we're just meeting with people that want to yeah, that want to put money over there, but he kind of handles those things. I mean, he's he's reading through all the entity docs, and I read through all those as well. But he just has the eye for that, which I don't, and I have the people side of it where I can help execute on those things. Because as I said, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be doing those. I, it just absolutely over my head to begin with. So don't have that fear, because there's a lot of skills that you can bring in here, but you might need the other person to help you with. If you can, there's a few guys that can do it all by themselves, but it, it's rare. Awesome. You said you're wrapping up. Let's see. Pretty close. Okay, you're fine. Do you have anything else that you want to do real quick before we have? I've got I've got all kinds of stuff. Uh, well, if there's anything that anybody wants to talk about, their network group. I, was gonna go, I got all this stuff. Here's what we guys want to go through. 
Oh, look at, there's Sam. Sam, our acquisition specialist. Where is he? Yeah, Sam found us over 400 units last year. Thanks, Sam. Big shout out. And he was in the major leagues for baseball. Signed my cast. Uh, th this is our Bricktown. This, I need to update this, but this is our org chart. So things get crazy pretty quickly, guys. Um, five years from now, you guys can have 2,500 units. It's, uh, it seems like a daunting task, but it's all possible. And if you don't want 25, so just, just real quick, when I started, I wanted 16 units, 16 units. I even wrote it down. I wanted 16 units because that would give me about five, $6,000 a month, the properties I was looking at of cash flow. Maybe it was 25 units. And I was like, boom, that's, that's retirement. I'm done. I am done. And then you start getting into this stuff and you start seeing not only the value that you're bringing for your family, but right now I bet there's over 200 people that are working in some source of something that I created, painting buildings, working on property, pest control, attorneys, accountants, et cetera, that I've helped fund their jobs through these efforts. It becomes a lot bigger than that. And then going to communities and actually seeing the change. We bought a property in Des Moines. It was one of the highest crime properties in an okay area. The crime is down. We were talking to the police the other day, 90 some percent since we took over. This was another management company that thought they knew what they were doing, but they didn't roll up their sleeves and get it done. We literally changed a community, got rid of drug dealers and got rid of murderers. <laughs> it's, but it's something that you guys can do and that, that there's more purpose to it. So that's what needs to keep you going because I'll tell you what, if it's just the money, you're gonna get bored really quickly. Now it's great, you can make a lot of money, but that's not the point. The point is to continue with the process and build yourself as a person and build these communities. So um, I think I have my contact info if you guys just wanna grab that. Uh, five years, we're hoping to have, so if you don't have your goals written down somewhere, they're not goals, they're just in your head. So get some goals, um, wanna be at 10,000 units. That's a property we did. Uh, there's Dan's video. Um, we are starting a coaching program. I never thought I would be one of those gurus. However, I see all the people I've helped. I know there was an individual. I sat down with him, helped him negotiate a deal. He made $600,000 off that deal, and I got lunch out of it. I love lunch, but I'm saying that I think I could give back a little bit more as well. Um, so yeah, that's my contact info, and I, uh, I appreciate if you guys have questions, follow-ups. I know this was kind of quick. Actually, it was an hour. Yeah, let's take a couple. Okay, cool. Nate. How do you find, manage, and keep good contractors on your rehabs? You fire a lot of them. No, um, pay them quickly. Okay. Pay them quickly, especially at the beginning. So here's the deal. I, I've now, we, we're now big enough that it's like, okay, you guys got to start playing my rules. It's Tuesday at 2 p.m. You finish the job and you want to get paid Tuesday at 3 p.m. You're going to have to wait. At the beginning, though, my contractor needed to get paid and he He'd bail me out, dude, I was writing that check and I was driving to him. Guess what, that guy's done 400 projects for me. He'll even come to my house in an emergency. You gotta pay him quick. Um, it, it comes down to people, treat them like people. No, I'm serious, build a relationship with that person. Ask them, how's their family? I know it sounds crazy, but if you can start building relationships with people, they're gonna wanna work for you. People wanna work with people they like. Um, Where did you find a lot of I just asked, I mean, literally, so I read the book, what was it? Multifamily Millions and Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller, and the other one was David Lindahl, and then a bunch of books by Ken McElroy, and lots of it's networking, so I had a goal every day, I'm networking with three new people, so every person I would see, I would say, how can I help you, and I'd give specifics on what I could help them with, and I would also ask, hey, I'm looking for contractors, over and over and over again, and you just start building up that Rolodex, but you have to have that conversation because they're not just gonna show up at your front door and you're gonna get a lot of bad contractors. I mean, there's nothing, nothing to say about that. You need to hold them to a high level of expectations. You need to be human with them. When they don't do their job, cut your losses and run. If you overpaid them a thousand bucks and you don't think you got your thousand dollars of work, you can take them to court or you can move on and go make a thousand dollars from someplace else. You can't drag your feet on trying to nickel and dime everything. You are gonna lose money at spots in this business. It's just, it's just gonna happen. You just gotta learn from it. That kind of answer it? I know it's not. I mean, go on every Facebook forum. All the Facebook forums. Lincoln, Omaha, Omaha Real Estate Meetup Group on Facebook, I think 40% of people are asking for contractors. 
and they'll get 30 recommendations. And the bad ones won't get recommended, so you already have this like process of elimination there. It's, it's become a lot easier in the past couple years. I was gonna say then, if you find somebody to like, ask him who he works with, who's his buddy, who's his buddy does drywall, whatever else. That's, Absolutely. That's a great way to you know, find, his, find, his, find his buddies, ask his buddies, talk to them. Yeah, high caliber people are gonna wanna work with other high caliber people, and they, they all typically run in the same circle. once or twice. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate it, man.